0: Welcome to the Valley of the Suns podcast, part of the Fan sided Podcast Network. Here's your host, Gerald Borgay. Welcome, Valley boys and girls, to another episode of the Valley of the Suns podcast, part of the Fan sided Podcast Network. I'm your host, Gerald Borgay. Coming to you in victory. Yes, the Suns are moving on to the second round of the NBA playoffs. They knocked off the Lakers in game six, uh, say last night, but it is still tonight. It's going to be a late night for yours truly, but well worth it because for the first time since 2010, the Suns have won a playoff series and they will be moving on to face the Denver Nuggets. And they did it by honestly exercising every potential demon possible. Um, You're talking about the Lakers-Suns rivalry. You're talking about LeBron James. You're talking about the defending NBA champions. Um, Just every possible storyline that they had to overcome as a two-seed with arguably the toughest first-round matchup in NBA history, they did it. And they did it in a lot of these guys' first-round playoff series – Um, So we're going to talk all about that. We're going to get a little bit into the Chris Paul contract thing that came up earlier in the day, um, the report that surfaced, and then we'll do a quick prediction for Suns Nuggets. I don't want to dive too deep into that yet because I want to take the proper time to research all the ins and outs of that series, and also it's really late and I still have articles to write. So (laughs) we're going to dive right into Game 7 and We can't talk about game seven without mentioning the man of the hour, Mr. Devin Booker, who was absolutely surreal. I mean, he was sublime in game six in a closeout game, um, only the sixth playoff game of his career, obviously, first closeout game of his career and he came and lived up to Kobe Bryant's words to him, be legendary, and he did it at Staples Center. He even said after the game that before he left the building, he looked up to the rafters one last time, uh, looked for Kobe Bryant's jersey, and said that he felt him in the building and that he he felt like he was there tonight and that he would have been proud of Book, which, I mean, if you're not tearing up at that, I don't know what to tell you, but um he was unbelievable and he jay crowder hit a couple of threes early on to get the suns rolling um and his hot start kind of provided the spark but devin booker was the whole log fire the rest of the way for the sun's offense i mean he was unbelievable in that first quarter he had 22 points on eight of nine shooting and six of seven shooting from three. He started off a perfect six for six, I believe, from three-point range. In the first quarter alone, he tied his uh, career record for most made threes in a game. He's done that several times, made six. But he tied that in the first quarter, and he had 33 by halftime. Um, The Lakers had 41 as a team, and Devin Booker had 33, which is just insane and the Suns had another big uh, first-half lead heading into the second half like they did in game five as well. Um, He finished with 47 for the game. He shot 15 for 22 from the field and a ridiculous 8 of 10 from three-point range. Uh, And he also chipped in 11 rebounds as if that wasn't enough. He bailed out the Suns with a couple of timely buckets in the second half when the Lakers were getting close, and he played phenomenal defense all while logging an absurd 46 minutes. He played all but two minutes of game six. And that's, I mean, against the defending champs, against a LeBron James-led team, he was the best player on the floor in game six, just like he was in game one and just like he was in game five. So I know that people were concerned about Book through games, you know, two or three through four, especially three and four, because he shot the ball really bad in those games, uh, shot it really poorly, and the Lakers' number one defense really clamped down on him. Uh, but Book said and Monty said that they had talked after game two, I think it was, and they had talked about, you know, finding a way to uh, not pass up on looks. They said he had passed up on some, some looks that he should normally take. And once he was giving the ball up, the Lakers weren't letting him touch it again. And and so his best option was to shoot and to shoot right away when he to make his move and be decisive with it. And that's what he did from, you know, game four, game five, game six on. Um, And he was phenomenal in game five and phenomenal again in game six. He's now scored 30 points or more in four of his first six playoff games and he was everything that you want from the leader of a playoff caliber team a title contender Um, in a game that had chris paul and lebron james he was the best guy on the floor for the second game straight and for the third time in six games so you know obviously the lakers are dealing with injuries they had lebron james who really didn't look like himself for most of this series um until pretty much the second half of this game you had anthony davis who unfortunately left early like five minutes in to game six he's leaving and i it made the sun's job incredibly easy so it definitely benefited them but nobody wants to see that um a star player or any player for that matter go down with an injury like that Um, i mentioned on the last pod i've Suffered a groin strain myself in my high school playing days. Very prestigious times for me, but um, it's a hard thing to come back from. It keeps you out for multiple weeks. It takes multiple weeks of rest to recover from, and it's really hard to move laterally. And if you try laterally, and if you try to come back too soon, there's a high risk of re-injuring it. And it was absurd to me that the Lakers doctors cleared him to play in this game. Because you watched him in warm-ups, just the footage we were seeing from the arena, and he did not look good. He could barely move laterally. He was barely moving around at all. Like, his mobility and his speed were way down. Um, and then that held true at the start of the game. You thought, okay, maybe he's just pacing himself or maybe he's taking it easy so as to not put additional strain on it. And the game starts and the Suns are attacking him over and over and over again. And uh, which is exactly what you're supposed to do. You know, if he's out there and he's not hundred percent, you attack that guy. Like that's just the nature of the game. If you're going to try to play through injury. Um, but this is on the Lakers doctors. They really should have kept him out. Uh, the reports were that he didn't make his groin injury any worse. It was just that the pain was flaring up. So that's good news. At least hopefully that proves to be true the next day that he didn't, make his groin injury any worse by trying to play. Um but yeah, that type of injury takes weeks to recover from and he was back in game 6 after you know missing the second half of game 4. So clearly not enough time to rest it. He clearly wasn't mobile or ready to play in a playoff game or even a regular season game with that injury. Tried to push through it. You got to give him props, but he kind of helped The snowball gets started for the suns in that first quarter just in that first five minutes i think they had a 14 to 5 lead um and it just snowballed from there once he left the game so you know that's that's tough for the lakers and obviously injuries played a role in this playoff series and the outcome because the lakers wouldn't be a seven seed with you know if anthony davis and lebron james hadn't been banged up for half the year And if they hadn't come back, you know, just a week or two before the playoffs started, they probably would have been a much, much tougher out. Um, But that's the reality of the situation. They just won a championship, so I'm not going to sit here and feel too sorry for them. And on the other hand, I really do think it would have been Suns winning this series, you know, even if they had come back two or three weeks before the playoffs and had time to get in a groove. I really do think the Suns were the better team. I think we would have seen a different LeBron but maybe not the same playoff LeBron that we're used to seeing. We got to remember the guy's 36 now, and he's got a lot of mileage on him. And you know, you look at all the conference finalists from last year's bubble run, all of them pretty much came up short except for the Denver Nuggets. Like the Celtics were out in the first round in five quick games. Uh, the Heat were out, they got swept in the first round. They dealt with injuries all year. Celtics dealt with injuries with Jalen Brown. Uh, Lakers dealt with injuries. They're out of the first round in six games. Denver Nuggets are the only one that uh, was able to withstand those and make it to the second round. And even they are playing without Jamal Murray and Will Barton got hurt too late in the season. So um, there's obvious correlation there as, as far as, you know, the season ending for these teams in like September, October, and then starting up again a new season, the 72 games in December. Um, That's a really quick turnaround that's really brutal to put on the body, especially after taking four and a half months off for the pandemic and then trying to work back up into this bubble run. Like, I can't imagine what these guys' bodies are going through, but I really do believe that anyone trying to make this series and its outcome about, you know, oh, the Lakers were injured and if they weren't injured, you know, they would have won. Uh, I'm going to call bullshit on that because Chris Paul was injured from the first half of game one, all the way until basically the second half of game four, he did not look like himself. He was honestly a detriment to the sons. Um, and so they played basically three games with him being completely out of it and not being able to help his team with that shoulder stinger that he was dealing with. So Anthony Davis was out games five and six and half of game four. I'd say that's pretty even. Obviously, Anthony Davis is at this stage of his career compared to Chris Paul, is a more impactful player. And we saw that in games five and six. We saw how much easier things were for the Suns on offense without his you know, long ass arms in the paint, his limbs blocking every passing angle. Um, and that undoubtedly made the Suns job easier. But don't forget, before he went down with that groin injury, the Suns had a lead in game four and were building momentum. Um, and yes, they did capitalize on AD going out, but I really don't think that it's fair to say that, oh, well, chalk it up to the Lakers injuries. That's what decided the series like, no, I'm, I'm gonna fight that narrative. And I encourage all of you to do the same. I'm sure you will be if you're listening to this podcast. But uh, it's, it's just, it's bullshit. And it's a cop out. And it's a lazy way to describe what happened in this series, without actually watching what happened in this series. Um, and what did happen in the series is we saw the sun's youngsters own the moment, you know, it, it wasn't uh, a really strong showing for, you know, Mikhail bridges throughout the six games or cam Johnson throughout the six games, or even campaign, like in game six, he was pretty bad. He missed a lot of shots. Uh, a lot of them layups right around the rim that he had been making. Um, to be fair, he did make a lot of absurdly tough ones in the games leading up to that. So maybe that was always unsustainable, but um, you know, a lot of the youngsters on the Suns team didn't play complete series throughout. And that's what's kind of scary is they were able to knock off the defending champs, a team with a lot more playoff experience, a lot more star power, um, despite their guys kind of being uneven for the most part. Even Devin Booker was uneven. Um, if you look at his shooting in games two through four. So and and the fact that they were able to do this with Chris Paul being banged up for half the series. Um, even DeAndre Ayton didn't have a tremendous game in game six, even though he was phenomenal through the first four games or so. Um, so that's really encouraging heading into this second round series against the Denver Nuggets. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute, but before we go on to that, I do want to talk really quickly about the Chris Paul contract report, um, Earlier in the day, it was reported by, I believe, Eric Pincus of Basketball Insiders that Chris Paul is planning to opt out of the final year of his deal that'll pay him uh, over $40 million for next season. He's planning to opt out, become a free agent, and he's looking for a deal in the three-year, $100 million contract range over the summer. So a lot of initial thoughts. And the first one is if you're unfamiliar with contracts and NBA contract structures and all that stuff. This is not uncommon. And it doesn't mean that Chris Paul wants to leave the Suns. It just means that he wants to better position himself for a longer deal with more money on it than just coming back for one year for 40 million and leaving himself. No, um, you know, additional security. I don't want to say security because the guy's made millions of dollars. He's set for life, but additional security in case anything happens to him, moving forward, and he only has that one cut. Like if he gets injured next season, it'll be a lot harder for him to make money on the open market from the Suns or from anyone else the following year if he played injured for the 2021 through 2022 campaign. So that means that he's looking for an extension. He knows his value to the Suns team. He knows how he helped turn things around. That doesn't mean he wants to leave. And if you've heard Chris Paul his post game comments all throughout the season, his media interviews, he has always talked about how much he loves playing on this team, and he even said it after Game Six. He was talking about how he's so proud of this Suns team and how he's so happy for these guys because he loves playing with these guys. He, he even said, "I'd rather, uh, I wouldn't rather be winning on a team that I'm not happy on compared to winning with these guys or playing with these guys." So. He, loved, he loves his son's team. He is a big Devin Booker fan um, who was the initial reason that he wanted to come to Phoenix in the first place. Obviously, he's really close with Monty Williams. He's more than just a coach-player relationship there. They are really good friends um, just in real life. And, you know, these youngsters, he was saying how they've grown over the course of this playoff series and how he was proud of them because he didn't feel like he did or he was able to do enough in this series with the shoulder injury he was dealing with. So that was really cool to hear him talk about the Suns in such a glowing way. And no one should be panicking that he wants to opt out because it doesn't necessarily mean that he wants to leave the Suns. What he's doing is he is putting the Suns in a position where they need to pay up to keep him and to keep this beautiful thing intact. He is taking advantage of, not taking advantage of, he is capitalizing on this Feel good situation. And if Robert Sarver wants to keep it going, he will pay whatever it takes to work out those extensions that are coming for DeAndre Ayton, for Mikhail Bridges. He will give Chris Paul an extension to keep him around as long as it's not anything too absurd and hopefully be able to find the money to bring campaign back as well because he's heading for a big payday. He's arguably the best backup point guard in the NBA. And he'll be an unrestricted free agent and he'll actually have offers coming his way for like the first time in his career after struggling to make it and not being on an NBA roster just over a year ago. So the only person that this really affects is Robert Sarver, whether he's willing to pay the luxury tax amounts that it's going to take to keep all of these guys in Phoenix and keep everyone happy. Um, obviously you're talking about a 36 year old Chris Paul Um and that's a lot of money, and that's a lot of years as well because that'll pay him through you know, his age 38, 39 season basically um, at about $33.3 million a year depending on how they structure that, whether they skew it towards the front or the back. I think if the Suns can get a player option or a team option on that final year, that would be fantastic for them. Um, but even if they can't, you really – you really don't want to think too hard about this. I know that it's tempting because Chris Paul is old. He has a lengthy injury history. He's fallen apart in the playoffs many times. We saw it with the Houston Rockets. Um, we saw it. We've seen it throughout his career with the Clippers as well. And it's it's rough. But one of the things that Chris Paul was most proud of this season was his availability, um, his ability to stay on the court and take care of his body. And he did a really great job with that until kind of that fluke play where he got popped in the shoulder by one of his own teammates on accident. And that shoulder injury kind of stuck with him throughout this playoff series, but he was still able to play through it and be effective. So can you count on that for two to three more years? Maybe not. But the whole idea is that you need Chris Paul's leadership. You need his camaraderie. You need his... Um, Just basketball IQ and ability to run an offense, even if he's not as athletic moving forward, even if he takes a step backward in production, the whole idea is you need to be looking for your backup point guard who Chris Paul can groom. And whether that's campaign or someone else, a rookie that they draft, they need to be grooming his successor during that time. They're not going to count on Chris Paul still being this Chris Paul in the third year of a three-year extension, obviously. Um, the idea is that by that time, they'll be able to transition to a new point guard, or at least be attractive enough on the open market to find his replacement as soon as his contract is up because Devin Booker's not going to stay at this same level of play over the next three years. DeAndre Ayton is not going to be at the same level. Like these younger guys are supposed to get better. And the idea is by the time you get to year two or year three, of a Chris Paul extension and his play is starting to decline you're ready to fully toss it over to the younger guys. They're ready to step in and fill some of those things that Chris Paul does Um, because this can't be You know, obviously we don't know how good the Suns will be even next year even with Chris Paul back. We don't know what the roster will look like. Obviously some depth pieces are probably going to leave this summer even if they win a title but you need to be thinking ahead, you need to be prepared, and you need to account for the internal growth that we're going to see from the core four of Booker, Aiton, Bridges, and Cam Johnson, who are, you know, the centerpieces moving forward. So, you know, I don't know if Campaign can be the same impactful player in a starting role full-time and, like, take over the mantle for Chris Paul, but I do know that at the very least, he's one of the best backup point guards in the league. And he's a guy that you can give spot starts to, to kind of ease Chris Paul's burden moving forward. And you know what? The Suns have been in misery for so long. Think about how long it's been since we've been able to be excited about watching this team play basketball. Like even for me, I'm not a fan of the team, but it's so much more exciting covering playoff basketball and covering a good team. Like watching game six tonight was fun as hell. Like it, even from an objective observer, that's really fun to watch. And it's fun to see how excited all of you are as well, supporting a, a good team for the first time since the days of Steve Nash, basically. So you pay up to keep that feeling going. You pay up to keep this team together and you pay up to try and bring the Valley its first championship in franchise history. Steve Nash couldn't do it. Charles Barkley couldn't do it. There are so many all-time greats that tried and fought so hard to do that. And we've seen Devin Booker the first five or six years of his career just be an uphill grind to get to where we're at right now, Um, thanks to James Jones and Monty Williams and Chris Paul, Jay Crowder, all these guys that they've brought in, all these youngsters that they've been grooming for this moment. It's finally happening, and I know that we're just out of the first round here. That may have felt like a Western Conference Finals matchup, but it's only the first round. But this feeling matters. The fan support matters. Um, Just the fact that the Suns have been such a bright spot in so many people's lives during one of the darkest one- or two-year periods in American history, I mean, that's got to account for something. You keep that feeling going, and yes, even if it's risky, even if he doesn't play out a full three years at an all-star level – you pay Chris Paul that money. If it's a hundred million three years, you pay him that money. You grin and bear it when you have to later on down the line, but you keep him around because if you shortchange him or you try to stiff arm him and, and get, you know, a two-year deal or a or less amount on a three-year deal, you risk losing him because if he has opted out, he could field other offers from other teams. And you know the New York Knicks will be one team that's interested. I had people asking me, okay, but where's he going to go? Valid point, most teams have pretty clogged up salary cap situations and, and or a franchise point guard already in place. But the New York Knicks would absolutely pay him that money and more in a heartbeat because A, they're the Knicks and they're used to giving money to overage point guards who may be on the decline. And B, Chris Paul just showed us this year what a leader like him can do with young talent and the Knicks have young talent. Obviously most of their players, it's a little different because most of their players uh, in the rotation during the playoffs were veterans, older guys, God bless Taj Gibson, but Tom Thibodeau will not let that man rest. Uh, Derek Rose, same thing, but the Knicks do have young talent and Julius Randall showed in these playoffs that he might not be a number one guy, just the way that he was shut down and the way he didn't really rise to the occasion. So they are absolutely looking for someone that is just like Chris Paul. It would be an absolute shame to watch what Chris Paul did with the Houston Rockets, what he did with the Pelicans in the past, what he did with the Clippers, what he did with the Thunder, and now what he's done with the Suns and have to watch him go do that for a Knicks team, just because you didn't want to add on a third year to a contract extension for a 36 year old, just give it to him and you will figure out the rest later. That's my personal take Um, but you know the Knicks are going to be on him. So you don't want to get yourself into a bidding war with a a team that has a history of making stupid overpays like that. You want to keep those discussions internal. You want to make sure that he's not going to have to go looking elsewhere for other offers that the Suns will then have to one-up. You keep him happy right from the start. You lock him in right away with a verbal agreement, make sure everyone's happy, and you bring him back and keep this team Going strong. Obviously, we don't know what the playoffs will hold uh, moving forward. We don't know what any of these teams in the NBA will look like after a full off to actually recover this time. But the Suns' success this year was about more than just you know being being lucky with their health all season long. Um, just like we've been saying about this Lakers series. So you want to keep Paul around. You want to keep him in that leadership role and continue to groom up Booker and all these younger guys, coach them up so that when his play starts to decline, these younger guys are ready to step up and fill that void and, and lead a team on their own. Um, You don't want to just have one year of the Chris Paul experience like the Oklahoma city thunder got, and then just that be it. So it's going to be interesting to see what the Suns do. Maybe it winds up an ugly contract a year or two down the line, uh, but it's worth it's worth the risk, and we've seen just feeling this feeling of watching the Suns dismantle the defending champion Lakers in this in the first round of the playoffs in one of the toughest first round matchups that any two seed has ever had. I don't know how you don't want to keep that going. Um, but we're going to take a quick break and be right back after this. Okay, so I promised I would keep this episode short, and that's what I'm going to do. I was going to do a G-rated segment on Marvel's Modoc, which is on Hulu, um, which is just delightful. But we'll save that for the next episode, hopefully when we can break down some Denver Nuggets stuff. Um, but I did want to just dive into the Nuggets thing really quick. Uh, the Suns were 1-2 and two against Denver this year. But the good news, I suppose... Uh, it's unfortunate. Obviously, we don't want to see players out injured. But the good news, if you're a Suns fan, is their number one tormentor in a Nuggets uniform, Jamal Murray, is not going to be playing in this series because of his knee injury um, that obviously ended his season. And I don't know how much you guys were able to watch of that Nuggets-Blazers series, which was pretty entertaining. But I was watching both those teams and wasn't blown away by either one. Aside from Nikola Jokic, who was putting up absurd numbers, I think he averaged like 36 or 38 points or something stupid like that in the first round. Aside from Jokic, not a lot about Denver really blew me away. Like Monty Morris did a great job off the bench and Austin Rivers was surprisingly good too. But I I don't see Austin Rivers hurting the Suns in a playoff series. I don't see the Nuggets having enough defense to stop the Suns offense, especially with the confidence that they gained in this brutal defensive slugfest with the Lakers and their number one defense in this first round playoff series. Like, obviously, Anthony Davis being out makes a huge impact on their defense. They're not really the number one defense without him. But they blew them apart in the last two games. Like they just took them apart, took them to the woodshed, whatever you want to call it. They were shooting the lights out. Um, They went 10 for 13 from three in the first quarter alone of game six. And uh, I think they went like something like eight of 23 the rest of the way. So not great, but they still wound up shooting over 50% from three um, and had like their first legitimately great shooting night from three-point range of the series in game six. That type of momentum can carry over, especially if you're playing against a defense that was getting torn to pieces by – Damian Lillard and the Blazers. Um, And the Nuggets haven't faced a defense like the Suns, obviously, because the Blazers' defense was terrible in that series, and the Suns are going to give them a lot more fight. I think obviously the key to that series is how much DeAndre Ayton can go to war with Jokic because uh, aside from Marc Gasol, the Lakers really did not force him out on the perimeter too much. They didn't force him to defend into space too much. Um, Aiton was able to make his impact in the paint where, where it needs to be. And, uh, that series, this series might be different because Jokic is a great three point shooter and, you know, he's going to have to be all over Jokic all the time. But I really do think that the Suns have the team defense and the advantage on that defensive end of the floor to be able to limit a lot of the nuggets, other options, um, you know, obviously Aaron Gordon was a good pickup for them and he helps their defense out a lot. He'll be, he'll probably be a thorn in the Suns' side a little bit because he's a smart player good defender he can shoot the ball a little bit as well. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how that, how that whole dynamic shakes out without Jamal Murray but Murray was has been throughout his career an absolute Suns killer, like he just goes off against the Suns for whatever reason. Um, and they don't have to worry about that in this series. They don't have to worry about Chris Paul or Devin Booker or Mikhail Bridges having to stick with a crafty dribbler and quick, you know, burst athlete and dynamic shooter like Jamal Murray, you know, a walking heat check. They don't have to worry about that. So that is huge. I don't know if Denver's guards can stop Phoenix's guards. And, you know, during the regular season, if you look at when they matched up, obviously the Nuggets had... They won two of the three games against the Suns during the regular season, but all of them were very early in the season. All of them had Jamal Murray, I'm pretty sure, and all of them were really close games. I think all of them were single digits and two of them, one of them went to overtime, the other one went to double overtime, and one of them would have been a Suns win if, I don't know if you remember this, but if Jamal Murray had been called for a pretty clear travel on a game tying shot that he hit, uh, I think to force overtime. So. This is a good matchup for the Suns, and it's if it feels like that first-round matchup was more of like a Western Conference Finals matchup, you're not alone because looking at both Portland and Denver, I really do think the Suns have pretty distinct advantages over them, and that's no disrespect to them because what the Nuggets have been able to do with Jamal Murray out has been pretty incredible, honestly. Um, And Jokic proved in the first round that all that talk about him being – you know, a, kind of a lame MVP or like I think Nick Wright said that he was like the worst MVP the NBA has seen in like 30 years or something, that's complete horseshit. <laughs> like for people that actually watch the games and, and watch Jokic, they know uh, what he's capable of and how incredibly good he is. And he, and he dominated that first-round series against Portland. Um, so the Suns will have their hands full, and Aiton will too. But I'm encouraged by what we saw – in this first-round series against the Lakers. And I'm especially encouraged because Ayton always elevates his game against the Nuggets. Like, he has said that Jokic in his book is, like, the number one center in the NBA or, or tied for it with Joel Embiid. I can't remember. But he really admires Jokic, and he always elevates his game when he goes against Jokic. So even though Joker is going to be the better player between the two. I don't think it's realistic to expect Ayton to outperform another star center or big man in the second round. I, I do think that he will match him and he will make life tough on him. He's got to stay out of foul trouble. That's going to be very key for this series, but I really do think the sun's have an advantage here. Not ready to make a prediction yet. I'm leaning towards sun and six to be respectful, but I honestly wouldn't be surprised if it's Suns in five, uh, just given the way that the Nuggets kind of struggled with a Portland Trailblazers team that also had very real flaws. Um, So that's going to be very fun to watch. And uh, I think that's going to do it for this episode, honestly, because it's very late and this will be coming to you very early in the morning, but hopefully you are still celebrating. Devin Booker gave everyone who is a Suns fan 47 reasons to be very excited for the weekend. Um, we're not sure when this second round series will start. And, you know, we hope that the Suns stay focused and there isn't too much of an emotional upheaval and kind of release from this series because there's still a lot of work to do. This team has bigger goals than just making it out of the first round. It'd be the most Suns thing ever if they just slept, walked through The second round and wound up losing to a shorthanded Nuggets team after knocking off the damn defending champs. So they got to stay focused. They've got to be locked in. They cannot overlook any opponent and start thinking about the conference finals or an NBA finals run. But Monty has been very good about keeping these guys focused. Jay Crowder said after the game, because I asked him, how do you, you know, how long do you give these young guys to sort of celebrate and reflect and take in this moment of beating the Lakers, beating the defending champs, beating LeBron for the first time in his career in the first round and, and winning their first playoff series. How long do you give them to celebrate that before, you know, it's back to business? And he said, we were talking about in, that in the locker room. Uh, it's tonight, basically. <laughs> they have tonight to celebrate. Tomorrow they get back to business. They get back to work. They start preparing for the Nuggets uh, for whenever that series starts, probably over the weekend, maybe Sunday, but I'm not sure yet. We'll find out. But anyway, that's going to do it for this episode of the Valley of the Suns podcast. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please subscribe. Uh, Tell your friends. Write me a five-star review if you're enjoying the show. But until next time, this is Gerald Borgay signing off.